Good morning. This morning we have two passages um, to read. The first is from the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. You can find it on the Pew Bibles at page 903 or in the following Jesus Bible, page 1161 and 1162. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The second passage is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and that can be found in the Pew Bible um, on page 976 or in the following Jesus Bible on page 1267. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to to those who were near. For For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the, fa- on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into, one, into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. If you have little ones, first grade and under, if they could line up behind Miss Brittany here at our door, and they'll head over for children's worship. We have anyone visiting with little ones today. You may want to go over and get them registered uh, if they are not already registered with our volunteers. So for five weeks now, we've been talking about how you can actionably impact the lostness of St. Tammany by promoting the gospel with your lifestyle. So we haven't been talking yet about how to tell your neighbors about Jesus, but we're talking about things you can do with your life that actually address the lostness of our community. And first we saw that you can pray. When you pray for gospel workers, God empowers them to spread the gospel to people who don't know about Jesus. When you pray for the lost, either generally or for the people on your Oikos map, which we did several weeks ago, when you pray for people, what does God do? 
He listens and he changes lives. Prayer is an action you can take that will promote the glory and love of God in your hometown. The second action we talked about was Christian hospitality. You can't easily tell somebody about Jesus if you don't have friendships with people, if you don't have trust built up with people. So we open our time, we open our homes to all of our neighbors to show the love and grace of Christ to people. So that's the second way, Christian hospitality. A third way that we can promote the gospel with our lives is with honesty, which I defined as living your life in a way that's consistent with the faith you profess, right? Good works. If your life is no different the day after you believe in Jesus than the way it was the day before you believed in Jesus, if the the transformation of the gospel isn't happening in your life, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you say because your life shows no change. Our words will fall flat if our life is not transformed. And then last week we talked about a fourth way to promote the gospel with our actions, which is financial generosity to gospel workers, to gospel ministry, and to the needy. With these kinds of financial investments, we can spread the glory and love of God among the people of St. Tammany by giving to ministries and by giving to the poor and the suffering. So today, we come to a fifth gospel-promoting task. Before next week, we move on and talk about, well, how do I proclaim the gospel with my mouth? We've talked about this for five weeks. What do I say and and how do I say it? But before we get to that, a fifth gospel-promoting task is this, the unity of the church. So a few weeks ago, I made the statement that one missing apologetic, one missing proof of the power of the gospel is transformed lives. Lives that evidence that the gospel does something, that Jesus is real, and that Jesus actually changes our lives. Well, in line with that, there's another missing apologetic that makes our gospel seem weak, and it's this, transformed communities. That's a second missing apologetic beyond transformed lives. Now, when you read the New Testament time and time and time and time again, this is a consistent concern that Jesus and the apostles had. Jesus aims to transform individuals, but then he commands them to live life with other transformed individuals, to be in community with one another, to worship together, to fellowship together, to grow with one another. And if you and I share the same Lord, if we have the same Holy Spirit living in us, if we have the same faith, the same hope, the same baptism, the same Heavenly Father, should that not make our connection with each other remarkably different, meaningful, and deep? Outsiders should look at Christian relationships and should look at Christian communities and see something that's not just countercultural and different, but something beautiful. Something desirable because humanity was made for these kinds of relationships, relationships of love and unity that doesn't make a big deal about age, about class, cultural background or difference. We, had, uh, we have our men's and women's fellowships each month. <clears throat> I didn't tell you I was going to tell this story. Mary Frances brought some friends uh, to the women's king cake tasting last month. And do you know what one of, at least one of them, their comment to Mary Frances after the fact? I wish I had relationships with older women. I don't have any older women in my life that I can talk to, that I can trust, that I can ask for wisdom and guidance. She saw something here at FPC that was different from her life. 
something that she wanted. This is the unity of the gospel. It brings together different people with different levels of experience, different backgrounds, because we need each other, and people that don't have that know that they need it. So in John chapter 17, Jesus is spending his last night with his disciples before his death. He's kind of passing on some parting wisdom to them. And in the the context of that conversation, Jesus begins to pray for the 12 disciples. But in the text that John just read for us, he begins to pray not just for the 12, but for all those who would learn from the apostles' ministry and teaching, which means Jesus is praying for you, Christian. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. And what does he pray? Look at verse 20 in chapter 17. I do not ask for these 12 only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And here's what he prays, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what does Jesus pray? He prays that the unity of later generations of Christians would say something to outsiders. That the unity of Christians would be jarring to the world and wake them up to the power of the gospel. So let's imagine, this is intentionally tongue-in-cheek, let's imagine that God the Father actually listened to Jesus' prayer and said, yes, son, I want to answer your prayer. What would that look like practically? What would it look like for Christians today to live in unity with each other. What if the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for here were to break out in St. Tammany Parish? What would that look like? Well, communities transformed by the gospel, they look like this. They're united in two things, truth and love. That's a broad statement. Let's dig into this. This statement does apply to local worshiping bodies. I could preach this whole sermon about Faith Presbyterian Church, how we want this unity to break out in our body, and we will touch on that, but Jesus' prayer is not that narrow. It's not that specific. It's not just for local worshiping bodies. No, this prayer of Jesus includes Christian friendships. It includes Christian homes. It does include local churches. It also includes regional groups of churches and even the global church. Jesus prays that all Christians might be one. And why? What does he say at the end of verse 21? So that the world might believe that Jesus really did come from God. So let's apply this, the previous statement I've written, communities transformed by the gospel or united in truth and love. Let's apply that to each of these different environments. First, Christian friendship. So if God, the Father, answered Jesus' prayer and gave two Christian friends this kind of unity, this deep sense of connection and love, what would that look like? I believe it would look like a transparency wrought by the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? The gospel says... First, it starts with bad news, and it says, I'm screwed up, and you're screwed up. We're both screwed up, and we're lost without Jesus. And then it tells us that through the work of the cross, Jesus can help us grow and be healed and become what he intends us to be. And so what that means is, in my friendship with Jonathan or with Beatrice or with any of you, what do we expect of each other? That we're needy people. That we're broken people. 
We expect each other to be fallen, but we also expect that one another has been filled with the Spirit and that there's hope ahead. And so what that does is it creates a kind of relationship that's not transactional at all. It's rooted in this radical sense of patience and forgiveness and love and grace and mutual understanding. And we're committed to, to not leave each other where we are, but to walk with each other in our growth and in our healing. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is making all things new. And so if you had that kind of open, transparent, where we're able to just be ourselves and help each other and pray with each other and love on each other. If we had that kind of relationship with each other, that would say something to others who know your friendship. If you had an unbelieving friend who worked with you, you had this kind of relationship in the workplace, they would see that friendship and say, there's something different here. I want whatever this is. That kind of friendship makes the gospel seem very attractive. It promotes the gospel. Let's think about the Christian home. What does a healthy Christian marriage look like? What does a healthy Christian home look like? I can promise you, it doesn't mean a perfect home. It doesn't mean a home free of conflict. What it means is it's a place shaped by the good news of Jesus that expects the need for grace, but also expects to see growth and healing. It's a place where love is freely given and received, where forgiveness is granted, where old things are are put out of our minds, not because people deserve it, that's the whole point, but because of the work of Christ. That kind of home, if people could see it, would be refreshing. It would make the gospel, the good news of Jesus, seem more compelling because this home is different from my home. What about local churches? What if a a, a group of people committed to each other. They committed to worship with each other. They committed to help each other grow and heal despite their differences of perspective, despite their background. Boy, that's a refreshing alternative to the world we live in where you have to agree on seems like everything, or at least on certain particular issues that forgiveness is not easily gotten. If people could see that in this body, they would see something deeper, something more real, something transformative happening in that community. They'd say, like Mary Frances' friend, that's weird and good. I want that too. That kind of church would say something about the gospel that people might say, well, maybe Jesus did come from God. But now I want to press a little deeper than maybe we're even comfortable with. This prayer also applies to regional groups of churches and even the global church. The global church part's easy, an easier pill to swallow because it seems so big. You can't really imagine what it might look like, but the regional part is harder for us to swallow. What would it look like for local bodies of churches, gospel preaching churches, from Catholics to Charismatics, what if everybody was to unify and work together toward the same ends, even despite their great differences? What if we could collaborate together in spreading the glory of Jesus? Could you imagine 
What surprise that would stir in the eyes of our unbelieving neighbors. One of my most disappointing experiences as a pastor was when I led a young man to Christ here in Covington. And he started going to another church. That wasn't the heartbreaking part. I was cool with that. I was meeting with him, doing discipleship, and he was going to this other church. And then we disagreed. His pastor said something different from what I said. And so I sat down with their pastor and I said, can we work this out? And can we find some middle ground so that we're in agreement? And he was being hardline on it. And this young man who eventually walked away from the faith, one of the last things he said to me is he said, you Christians can't even agree on the most basic things. So why would I believe anything you have to say to me? This is not how it was supposed to be. And yet people who proclaim the name of Jesus just can't seem to be able to sit at the same table together. So what would it look like if the churches of St. Tammany, who profess faith in Christ, could partner together rather than being at each other's throats? So you may think, well, what does that even look like? You can imagine what it would look like in a Christian friendship, in a Christian home, or even a local church. But what would unity look like in these bigger groups, like a regional area or a national area or the global church? Well, to go back to my first point, communities transformed by the gospel are united in truth and love. We know what communities we're talking about now. We've, we've gone through that. But what does the rest of the sentence mean, and what would that look like in each of these Worlds. First, what does it mean to be united? These communities would be marked by a deep intimacy and relationship that make no sense apart from the gospel. How does Jesus describe this unity? Look at verses 21 through 23. Pay very close attention because it's tricky. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, And I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory, Jesus says, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Is your head spinning yet? What's Jesus praying for? He's praying that the unity of Christians would be akin to the relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. That our unity would mirror the unity of the Trinity. So the question is, is there anybody here who thinks they can adequately explain the unity of God the Father and God the Son without traipsing into false teaching? <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> Really, the only way to safely do it is to quote scripture and the historic creeds. Anything more than that starts to get dicey. But I think that's an essential element of what Jesus is saying. We believe that God is one. There is only one God. Every other God is either imaginary or a demon. Yet the unity of, within the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons having one substance, one power, and one eternity And it's a glorious mystery. We do not fully understand it. We can only glimpse it as much as it's expressed in Scripture. And Jesus prays that our intimacy with each other, that our connection and unity with each other would have that same strange, mysterious dynamic. That when unbelievers look at Christian unity, it seems otherworldly, alien, 
strange, something mystical must be happening there. And that's what Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 2. The issue in the church of Ephesians was you have Jews and Gentiles who historically hated each other suddenly believing in the same Lord and coming to the same church together. Also, masters and their slaves, both believing in Jesus and now saying, what does it mean for us to be equal? How do we treat each other now? Husbands and wives coming to Christ and saying, wait, the way we relate is not as it should be. What does unity look like for us? And so Paul says, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is, I should say is, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ destroys the things that divide us. And what does the world want? What is the world literally calling out for in the streets but unity? Reconciliation. The world wants a ceasefire. The world wants peace. But it all remains elusive. Education doesn't seem to solve this problem of hostility between persons and people groups. Good intentions don't solve it. Religion doesn't solve it. Revolution doesn't solve it. Eugenics doesn't solve it. Neither totalitarianism nor anarchy solves it. Not even the Democrats and Republicans can solve it. Unity, peace, restoration, the removal of hostility. All of these things remain elusive for us. They escape us. But Christ, Christ offers a unity that breaks down every barrier. That unites people that never would have been bedfellows before. He unites Jew and Gentile, Brazilian and Chinese, Baptist and Presbyterian, men and women. All the walls are coming down and peace is being born into the world through the church, through believing in Christ. It defies explanation. It makes no sense unless you know the gospel. This unity defies explanation because it's grounded in the gospel rather than in transactional relationships. So what can restore the brokenness of human society and human relationships? What can bring peace and reconciliation to the earth? Only one thing, trusting and following Jesus. Because if you're united to him, that automatically unites you to everyone else who bows the knee to him regardless of their differences from us. And what that means is we can be very different from each other. We can even disagree with each other on a lot of things. But at the end of the day, if we're on our knees before Jesus, if he is our Lord, if he is our greatest love, if he is our greatest joy, then there's a lot of commonality between you and me. And we can live together. We can work together. We are knit together. And this truth, the gospel, calls us to hold the things that divide us really loosely in our hands. Denominations just aren't that big of a deal. We make it a big deal. And trust me, pastors are the most territorial about this. A lot of anxiety about 
when church members go to another church or somebody comes to Christ and goes to another church. He asked us to hold this stuff very loosely and to find, can we agree on this one thing? That we're sinners. That we need Christ. That he died for us. That he was God in human flesh and was raised from the dead. And he wants the good news to spread to the ends of St. Tammany Parish. If we can agree on these real basic things in a friendship, in our home, in this church, and between churches, it set the world on fire. Christian unity is found when people find connection in this reality that we are both deeply flawed sinners who trust in Jesus and desire to love and follow him. But that's not how the world works. It's how the church should work. But it's not how the world works. And the world relationships are transactional. I've got to get something from this relationship if I'm going to give something to this relationship. And if people don't keep up their side of the bargain, I'm going to cancel the contract. Or I'm going to unfollow you. Or I'm going to do my best to ruin you and your reputation. Not so in the body of Christ. Because what do we expect of each other? The same thing we expect of ourselves. We're both going to be sinners who need grace, who need Jesus, and who need each other. We need each other to usher one another toward the throne of grace. Y'all know uh, we've been engaged for several years now with a ministry called Awaken North Shore. Uh, Chris Talley is the, I don't know what your title is. He's our, he's our voted, elected leader. We need to come up with a title probably. <laughs> this is a gathering of Christian churches here in St. Tammany Parish working together to reach the lost. And I'm happy to report we butt heads a lot. And it's usually my fault. The Presbyterians were always the stiff ones in the room. But a few Sundays ago, I had a Sunday off and we went and worshiped with one of these sister churches that uh, I've known their pastor, really enjoyed him, spent some time with him. And so we had a Sunday off, said, let's go worship with this other church. And it's kind of a assembly of God adjacent non-denominational church, very different from us here. And uh, it was great taking my family there, worshiping God there, worshiping in a way that's very different from how we worship here. Yet at the heart of it all was Christ. That makes me so excited to partner with them because they can reach people that we can't reach. And we can reach people that they can't reach. God has put us both here for a reason. And we are all a part of the church of St. Tammany Parish. If we were to begin to think that way, because that's what the scriptures teach us, it would free us up to co-labor together for the good of the gospel in St. Tammany Parish. Let's continue to describe the kind of unity that Jesus prays for. I'm already laying the foundation for it. We're united in truth, in love. So in truth, these kinds of communities that we've described are restricted by objective beliefs, ethics, and expectations that flow from the gospel. There are some things we believe. There are some lines we don't cross. But also in love, these shared truths require us to love one another and to love those outside the body. I put the text on here for time's sake. You can take those home and chew on it uh, later. But it's important to clarify this. The communities that Jesus is forming are composed of people who have commitments to objective truth. There are some truths that we agree on about reality, about theology, about morality and ethics. To be a Christian 
is to believe and aim to live out what the Bible teaches. We believe the Bible is truth and we live according to it. And what do those scriptures call us to? Radical love. A love that mirrors Jesus' self-sacrificing love. So here's my point. The unity that the church has is not the unity that the world would prefer or design. The world, in its calls for unity, they're asking for a fictional unity that comes without objective truth and that defines love in a way that is outside the definition of love in Scripture. What is God intending to do? What is the unity that he is bringing about? God intends to restore humanity and the world to its original intent, which means it will be different from the world around us, and it'll be different from how we are now. And again, that's the whole point. Unbelievers should look at the unity that's shared between Christians and find it attractive, even though it's offensive. There's something there that feels good and right and desirable in my gut, yet they hold to standards and ethics and expectations and teachings that make me feel like a sinner. That's how the gospel works. So these kinds of gospel friendships, these kinds of gospel homes, these kinds of churches and relationships between churches, if we were to live this out, if we were to pull this off, it would be a powerful and compelling picture, a a microcosm, if you will, of what humanity should look like. It would be a a demonstration of what every human being was made for. Peace, unity, love, harmony, all within the bounds of God's truth. Life as it should be. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? The kind of unity and truth, this kind of truth, uh, unity in truth and love is only a work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying individuals and connecting them with each other. I wish I could manufacture this unity. I wish there was an action I could take to just make it happen in my friendships, in my home, definitely in this church, definitely in the broader church of St. Tammany and in the world. I wish I could just snap my fingers or employ some strategy, and miraculously, this unity would come to be. But here's something to chew on. Even Jesus had to pray for it. (laughs) If Jesus had to pray for it, you better bet it doesn't come easy. It's going to be hard. So what can we do? First, because this is a work of the Spirit, we long for it and we pray for it. So these communities I've described go against the grain of our sinfulness, my sinfulness. And this unity can only happen if God intervenes and does something in my life and in my wife's life and in my kids' lives and in my friend's life and in y'all's life and in the lives of every other Christ follower in St. Tammany Parish. He's got to do something. Which means we must pray. But before we even pray for something, we have to want it. Do you want this kind of unity in truth and love? In your friendships, in your home, in this church, and in the broader community of St. Tammany and the global church? If so, then let's join Jesus in praying for it. We can't pull it off. It has to be a work of the Spirit. So let us long for it and pray for it. And for the record, us pastors are getting together and praying for it. So you've got that working against you or for you, depending on how you look at it. That's the first actionable thing we can do. Long for it and pray for it. Second, we must regularly repent of our pride. 
and obey Christ's commands about humbly loving and holding one another accountable. This unity we're describing will never happen if we're not a repenting people. If we're not daily recognizing our own sin and our own need of a Savior, if we're not recognizing that we, I, am regularly wrong, and I need other Christians to help me, (laughs) correct me, and help me to grow, if I'm not living in that space of humility, I'm not going to have any use for this kind of community. I'm not going to have any kind of use for this sort of relationship. But if we're living a lifestyle of repentance, if we're taking seriously the many commands Jesus gives about loving each other, about confronting each other on our nonsense, about putting others before ourselves until we get there, well, it's never going to happen. So we pray for it, we long for this unity, and we start repenting daily, aiming to live in a humility born out of the gospel. And third, we must play our part in each of these communities. There's no community if we're not engaged with each other. If we're not cultivating friendships with each other, if we're not serving each other, if we're not using our gifts in relation to each other, then there is no community. Christian community, friendship, home, church, regional, global, Christian community is not a spectator sport. No, it's a movement wherein we all join together with locked arms to take the glory of Jesus to the world, and that means helping each other along the way. FP, I'll speak to FPC because we're here today. Faith Presbyterian Church is not intended to be a service industry where you come to be served. Uh, you're not the, the, the consumers and the, and the institution. We're the, the people serving you. No. I need you as much as you need me. <laughs> I may actually need you more. This is a place for us to mutually encourage and spur one another on to love Jesus and to spread the glory of Jesus everywhere we go. And every one of us, from youngest to oldest, regardless of how reformed or not you are, whatever thing you want to pick, we, every one of us, have a part to play in this work together. So there you have it. Five ways to promote the gospel in our hometown of St. Tammany Parish. At least one out of two of our neighbors don't have repeated opportunities to hear the message of Jesus, to see it lived out. They don't have repeated opportunities to respond. So here's what we can do. We can pray for gospel workers, our Oikos map, and the lost generally. We can be hospitable with our time and with our homes. We can live in a way that's consistent with our faith. We can be generous to gospel ministry, gospel workers, and to the needy. And we can live in unity with other Christians. When we do these things, it helps people see that the gospel actually means something. It helps people to see that, huh, maybe Jesus did come from God. And it helps people to see the impact that the gospel could have on their lives. So what do you need to do this week to work toward this fourth gospel-promoting practice, the unity of the body? How can you pray for the Christian communities that you're a part of? How can you pray for unity in your friendships, in your home, in this church, in St. Tammany, and in the global church? How can you humble yourself in relation to other Christians? And how can you play your part in building these kinds of God-honoring, humanity-restoring relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's pray. Father, every one of us has a history Every one of us has wounds. 
Every one of us has passionate beliefs on things spiritual and not. We also have a world that encourages us not to edify and love and connect with people who are in disagreement with us. We have an enemy who would love nothing more than to destroy our friendships, to tear apart our homes, to destroy this church's unity, to separate and antagonize the churches of St. Tammany that would rather have us taking battle lines against each other and forgetting the real call to spread the light of Christ in the darkness of the world. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for us, these people in this room now, and for everyone who might be listening to this online. Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that you'd humble us, that you'd help us to see a greater purpose for our friendships, our home, our church, and the global body of Christ, the the church of Christ here in St. Tammany. Help us to see a greater purpose than me, than us. I pray, Lord, that at the heart of all these communities, you put one priority, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and lifting up Jesus to the world. We pray, O oh God, that you would spread your glory through a unified people seeking the glory of Jesus and the transformation of the world. We can't do it. We don't have the power in and of ourselves, so we pray that you would do it and start with us this week as we pray, as we Long as we humble ourselves, as we seek to play our part, guide us toward the unity that Jesus prayed for. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.